Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Believe in Betting Chicago. My name is Joy Christopoulos. Today's episode is brought to you by, you know it, betonline.ag. And this Christmas season, the NFL season, it's coming up. It's in full swing. The playoffs and fantasy are right around the corner, and you might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on all the action of Bet Online. They've got game threads, totals, team player and coaching props, even a great live betting app on Bet Online, and it gives you more options to wager than any place online. And remember, if that's not your bag, there's always that online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining in the pod today. Bringing back a friend of mine. I miss talking to him. We're going to cut it up a little bit. Lots to discuss right now in the Chicago sports realm. My good man, my right-hand man, Mike Choi. Welcome back to the pod. How are you today, Mike? Thanks for having me again. Uh, Usually I have some sort of quip to say hello with, but man, the Bears just, it just takes it all out of me, man. That I'm sure as we'll get into. So um, yeah, ready to to discuss the uh, downward spiral of our beloved Bears. And this is how it works, right? When times get tough, we just hold on to each other tighter and we just get through it somehow. Mike, I'm sure you got a ton of thoughts, man. I want to crack open that head of yours and I want to hear them all. Maybe let's just start here for right now my first question for you is in your opinion has Matt Nagy lost the team if the way the defense played against Green Bay is any indication of kind of giving up giving up potentially for your head coach I think he has I think he's lost the team I think he has uh kind of I mean he's tried everything right he's given up the play calling to Bill Lazer, Lazar, Lazer, is it, is he a Lazer? You know, I mean, he's tried everything he can, but I think he's, he's a little above his head right now. And the latest grumblings are that, you know, McCaskey, he's lost favor with McCaskey. So I, you know, you, you would think the writing is on the wall. Well, it'll really come up this week, right? Against this Detroit Lions team that just changed GMs and coaches themselves. If we lose to the Lions this week, I think it becomes more of a reality by the day. You brought up the defense. Fun little stat that I heard today, Mike, uh, from Kevin Fishbane on Twitter. In the last five games, the Bears have allowed their opponent, their opponent quarterback, to pass for over 100 QB rating. That is the first time that that has happened in over 25 seasons. So you're talking about a defense right now that is supposed to be elite, dominant. You know, we're hanging our hat on our defense. The last five weeks during this five-game losing streak, you know, it hasn't been terrible. It doesn't look like that, but, you know, a plus 100 QB rating to each of the last five quarterbacks. You know, we're talking about Jared Goff here. We're talking about Ryan Tannehill here. Huge cause for concern. And I'm with you. I'm definitely asking a lot of questions based on Matt Nagy today, you know, telling everyone to wake up and look in the mirror and soul search, whatever pop catchphrase you want to throw out there. And it seems like he's really trying to put it out there I don't want to say desperate, but really just trying to hang on to his job as best as he possibly can. And you're kind of asking yourself, why didn't this happen a couple of weeks ago? Why is this happening after the bye week, after you get blown out by the Packers? Well, maybe it's because that seat underneath Matt Nagy is getting white hot right now. Well, and the crazy thing is, I mean, at five and six, we still have, I mean, we're on the outside looking in, but we still have a shot at the playoffs. Absolutely. Especially this year with them adding a team to each league. So for a total of 14 teams as opposed to the regular permutation of 12, right now, you know, if, if the playoffs were to start today, 
um, Arizona would be would have that final seventh seed. So we're only two games back from Arizona. Um, and then you look at the final five games, you know, Detroit, Houston, Minnesota, Jacksonville, Green Bay. None of those teams besides Green Bay scare me. I mean, Next theoretically, exactly, four and one, right? Four and one, we should be. And even worst case scenario, because you know somehow or another, we're going to blow one of those four games that we should win. So even worst case, we should be three and two. You know, eight and eight doesn't get us into the playoffs. Nine and seven might. So that's kind of the crazy thing because we're in that position where, you know, we always we can go into the age old debate of whether or not you tank for a high draft pick, especially in the NFL where, you know, worst record does get the best pick as opposed to the NBA where you still might not get the top pick. Um, so we're in that. What do you think? I mean, we're in that limbo land, in my opinion, where do we go for it? Do we really try to make the playoffs or do we try to kind of start seeding for the future? But, but here's the thing, you know, initially I was pretty upset with the fact that we were five and one, cause I knew that was an aberration. I knew that wouldn't last. I think all of Chicago knew that wouldn't last. Cause I think we even talked about it in our last pod together that like five and one as amazing as that sounded never sat well in my gut because I think we all knew that that was temporary. So at the time I was like five and one, we've totally played ourselves out of any of those top uh, quarterbacks, right? The Josh Fields, the Trevor Lawrence's of the world who are all kind of top 10 picks right now. If the season ended today, I think at best we would have the 13th overall pick, but here's the thing, Joey, I don't care what quarterback we would have drafted. Even if we had got one of those guys, what guy is going to be able to play well with the kind of line we currently have. So I don't know. I don't. I I am stumped as to whether we should go for a, a quote unquote tank if we should go for the playoffs because even if we make the playoffs, we're not going to go far. So where does that leave us? So, um, yeah. But that's the thing. We still have a shot at making the playoffs. And I've been trying to think about this a lot because I, I I'm getting into this podcast game. I'm a year and a half in, and you're spending a lot of time not just analyzing, which I already do in my normal life, but then trying to you know, put that into a, a structure of sentences to try and communicate what I'm seeing from this Bears team. And I'm right there with you. Five and one, it seemed a little too good to be true. And aberration is probably an apt way to describe it. But I don't think anyone at that point would have said that this team was going to fall apart and lose five games in a row at that point. You know, maybe you lose, maybe you go two and three in the next five game stretch. Maybe even go one and four, but not lose five in a row. So everyone out there saying, you know, I saw this five game losing streak coming. I personally think it's a little full of shit because the Chicago Bears, as of today, you know how they came out with all those stats about how an NFL team had never come back from 17 points down, 20 points down. The Chicago Bears are the second team in NFL history to begin 5-1 and one and then lose their next five games. This is only the second time in NFL history this has ever happened. So I hear you when you say that it's hard to get your hands around this team. It's because it is. We really don't know who's going to show up every single week. Now, can we look at certain structure foundational pieces of you know the quarterback the offensive line the lack of a running game through the play calling and the coach yes those are all issues that we can point at and easily easily pick out as problems but on a week-to-week basis it's just really hard to figure out who this Bears team is they could easily win their next four games in a row be nine and six with a possibility to go to the playoffs I mean as you mentioned the Cardinals they're going backwards right now they play the Rams next week the Cardinals lose, then they're six and six. Vikings play the Jacksonville Jaguars next week. They go to six and six, and then we're six and six. It's all up there for the taking. Yep. So I think this is one of the hardest seasons to really sort of figure out 
not just like what this team is, but what this team is going to do and who they're going to be from a week to week basis. I mean, can we honestly say they're five and six right now? Can we honestly say that they have played one complete football game all season long? I don't think that we can, even in that Giants game, they got up early and then they almost, you know, sort of let them tie it towards the end. I mean, an incomplete football team, yes, but they're just really hard to figure out. And I want to ask you this question. It is about time to bring it into the fold a little bit about not just about how COVID is affecting teams, but just how COVID is affecting the season, the league, coaching staff, routine, day-to-day. You know, how much are you putting it on? I mean, dude, like, look, the Steelers and Ravens are about to play a game on Wednesday at 1230. For the first time in NFL history, there's going to be Wednesday afternoon football. Get ready. Is there any slack that you can cut for a Chicago Bears team right now that is just honestly going through a completely just ridiculous, unprecedented, close your eyes, cross your fingers, hope you get to the finish line type season? Obviously, we will never know what it is like as a professional athlete. One, much less dealing with a world pandemic that we're all witnessing. With that being said, every team in the league is dealing with that. So there are, there's nothing that the Chicago Bears are dealing with that the other 29 teams in the league are dealing with or, or, or 31 teams in the league are dealing with. So from that aspect, it comes down to organizational structure right? That comes down to how is the team and the environment that they are presenting? Because correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't, I, I, would, I would argue that the Bears have been the least affected team or one of the least affected teams from COVID of the, of the league. I don't, Which they need to be applauded for to yeah. this point, correct? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, in terms of, you know, when we talk about like, God, the situation we're seeing in, in uh, Baltimore right now, we're like, you know, all their major players at, at some point had it or were, you know, in close contact with, you know, we haven't had that scenario. So, yeah, yeah, from, from a safety protocol standpoint, we should be applauded. But from, um, you know, from an organizational like, hey, let's rally the team together, let's get this through this together, this adversity together, there, to me, you know, it's unfortunate that the entire league, the entire world has to deal with it. But it's, it's nothing that is unique to the bear situation. So we see other teams thriving and if other teams are thriving, despite, you know, having to deal with COVID, there's nothing that in my opinion, we can attribute to like, Hey, if it wasn't for COVID, we'd have a lot better product. Right. And I, and I'm talking more about the coach and the general manager, I think mm-hmm. than I am than the actual players and skill talent on the field, because I just think it adds a complexity to the evaluation when it comes season end. If you are, McCaskey, you know, Virginia McCaskey and, you know, Ted Phillips, whatever, trying to figure out whether to move forward with this group that's in charge that puts the players on the field. Let me ask you this question. I'm going to give you three doors. I think I know the answer to it, but I want to hear it nonetheless. I'm going to give you three doors right now. You can open one, two, or three. Door number one, the Bears, it falls apart. You know, they lose next week to the Lions. They get blown out by the Texans. You know, maybe they beat the Jaguars, but they finish like six and ten. Let's just even maybe say seven and nine or five and eleven. Just all falls apart. And it probably sets up the, the removal of Nagy and Pace from the general manager seat. Door number two. They play pretty much what looks like Chicago Bears football at this point. They win a couple of games, they bounce back a little bit. They blow that one game that you mentioned. You know, maybe they blow that Jaguars game or 
or they blow it against the Vikings in the fourth quarter. They finish somewhere in eight and eight. But you know what? The team shows a little bit of resolve after losing five games in a row. They don't quit on Matt Nagy. They go out there. They put out an honest effort. We're in every game. We just kind of lose. We know the quarterback situation sucks, and they don't get there. Or door number three, they win that four. They win the next four games in a row. They enter that Packers game nine and six. Dare I say, you know, I'm not going to say they run the table, but they get in a situation where week 17, they're playing for the playoffs. You know, what is your heart? What does your head tell you? Which door are you opening and what's your preference? Well, it depends on your mindset, right? It depends on if you're looking at the broader picture for the future of the Chicago Bears or the immediate success of the Chicago Bears. Of course, I'd love to see them in the playoffs. But when you talk about where is this team, even if they make the playoffs, where is this team in two years, three years, four years? Are we just holding off the inevitable? Because then here's the thing. And again, I hate to, you know, draft picks are always so speculative in terms of who ends up being a great player or not. That's always hindsight. Um, but, you know, the thing is, we make it to the playoffs, we get that much lower of a draft pick. And it's the first time in three years that we'll have had a first-round draft pick. So it, to me, you know, th and this is kind of a side product, but, you know, knowing what we know now, in, in, in my opinion, in football particularly, I don't think there's a more important sport where that first-round draft pick is more vital. Um, and so because of that, Joey, knowing what we know now about this team, uh, I'll throw a question right back at you. Was Khalil Mack worth two first-round draft picks, given where we are even with him today? Unfortunately, the question is a bit mutually exclusive where, yes, Khalil Mack was worth two first-round draft picks, but he wasn't worth two first-round draft picks for the Chicago Bears because the Chicago Bears had a quarterback that they took number two overall that wasn't going to work out. Give me any other team, honestly, any other situation where you have maybe just a mid-tier quarterback, maybe even top 12. Like, Just take the Lions, for example, right, with Matt Stafford. A thousand percent worth two first round picks just because you know who your quarterback is. And to be able to take those first round picks away, it really did. I don't want to say it hampered us because we're, we never took an offensive lineman in the first round, anyways. When Ryan Pace took over the job, instead of taking an offensive lineman with his first first round pick, he took Kevin White. You know what I mean? And, yep, and so yep. it's, a, it's a bit of like, you know, what would have happened either or. So I hope I'm not like hedging on my answer, but I do think that it was absolutely worth it, but I'm completely in agreement with you. And it has been missing because look no further than a player like Kyle Fuller, right? Kyle Fuller was drafted 13th overall in the first round. And you know what? He hasn't become a superstar, but he has become a pro bowl type player where you have him and it's set it and forget it, right? Yep. Kyle Fuller's all signed up. He's your starter. Don't have to worry about it. That part is figured out. That's what you'd use for first-round picks. If you're not going to get the superstar with that first-round pick, you might as well get a, an eight-year starter out of it, right? And, and I think what you're saying is now that we don't have those picks right now, we just unfortunately have been a bit behind the eight ball. We've had to make decisions that exactly haven't worked out in our favor, a.k.a. instead of drafting offensive line, we're taking guys in the second round like a Cody Whitehair and a James Daniels. We're giving money out to – castaways like Bobby Massey and Jermaine Effetti. Exactly. Exactly. Charles Leno's a seventh round pick plays good for one season. Give him money, you know, <laughs> give him money, forget about it. And, and it all comes back to the quarterback. And, and I've been having this conversation on, on the other pod, believe in bears um, with Cameron Lee who played for the bears. And it's just a situation where, man, this is going on 10 years now, right? Lovey Smith was fired after a 10 and six season. So 
even in that door three scenario where Nagy does make the playoffs, it's still on the, on the board where Nagy could get fired. But, man, well, dude, we're at 10 years right now of still trying to figure out the quarterback. Who are we? This existential purgatory of that middle nothing, that nebulous can we we're never going to be too terrible we're not going to be too good we're going to be right in that mediocre level and every couple seasons maybe pop together a 10 win season and it just all comes back to the quarterback man and we're just we're trying to figure it out right but it's just we're spinning our wheels until we figure that out and it doesn't matter how many Cleo Max you have on your team yeah and you know you segued perfectly into another question I have for you and by, and by the way you and Cam amazing on your oh. podcast I love listening to you guys <laughs> Thanks, you guys dude. provide some great Thanks, analysis man. Yeah. dude I learned I learned so much from yeah. that guy because yeah. uh, you know I'm a fan we're fans yeah. we see things with our eyes and we think things but then to have him actually walk you through the human element of it has been yeah it's been pretty yeah, fantastic exactly so Thanks, it's, it's a lot of fun listening to you guys um but that being, you know, we talk about the quarterback and again, what quarterback succeeds with this offensive line currently? No one, you know, obviously is Mitch the answer? No. Um, but is he the better of the two between him and Foles for this uh, team? Yes, because he adds that element of legs. He's, he adds that element of evading, you know, a crumbling pocket that is pretty much every snap of the ball when, when we're on offense. Um but that brings me to kind of as we talked about the quarters, quarterback situation where, Joey, the Chicago Bears, one of the oldest teams in the NFL, 100-year anniversary, I believe, this year. They're 100 years this year. Um, you know, outside of Sid Luckman, who played back in the 50s, and these blimp seasons by the likes of Scott Mitchell, and even, you know, as recently as Jay Cutler – why is it that the Chicago Bears in their 100-year history don't have, you know, uh, I, got, I, I don't even want to say perennial, you know, uh, all-pro type quarterback, but just competent quarterbacks. You know, the, the classic argument is always the cold weather thing, right? But that's such a false narrative because all we have to do is look up to Green Bay much colder than Chicago and see they keep producing the Bart stars and the Brett Favre's and obviously Aaron Rodgers, Rogers and, you know, even the Don Mikowski's of the world to know that like that cold weather narrative, you know, is, is a false narrative. So why do you think just in a fluke, just in a fluke circumstance, you would think at some point we've had a career kind of, uh, you know, three, four year pro bowl level quarterback, but why is it that we have never, had that since Sid Luckman? Oh, man, great question. So off the top of my head, the things that are just kind of popping up in my mind is one, you know, because we are that charter franchise, we've never gone the Detroit Lions route where we go like 0-16, right? We've never done the whole bottoming out thing. We've done the 4-12, and but we, when we began the season, we thought we'd be like a 500 team, right? We talked ourselves into it. The first thing I think of off the top of my head is simply – We've just accepted mediocrity. We, we've never drafted quarterbacks. Like, how many top 15 quarterbacks have we ever drafted? I can think of two off the top of my head. His name's Mitch Trubisky and Cade McNown. In what, 20 years? Mm-hmm. Unacceptable. So when you're sitting there at number four and you take Cedric Benson over and Aaron Rodgers, you know, those are the moments right there where you kind of ask yourself, you know, this is where we kind of screwed up. And on top of that, too, it seemed like we became – relatively complacent and probably the Bears organization was complicit in allowing that run the ball 
hard-nosed defense, the Bears fans. I think our own mentality kind of put us into this position just a little bit where you had the Eric Kramer in 95 and then what you traded for Rick Meyer in the late 90s. In the early 2000s, you tried to get Cade McNown, but then you ended up with Jim Miller, right? And then you did the trade, then you did the drafting thing again, but it was Rex Grossman and Kyle Orton. But Rex Grossman was a what, 22 overall. Kyle Orton was a third or fourth round overall. And then you went back to the trade route and you brought in Jay. So it just seems like that they never, they just kept settling. We've always just settled and just kept thinking that we have this answer and we just have to give it time. And we know for some reason how to develop a quarterback. We've had this conversation before, Mike. Like, I don't think Bears fans, and I don't think I do, I don't think we really know what a great quarterback even looks like because we just haven't seen it, right? We've seen the opponent do it. We've seen Brett Favre, you know, tear our, tear our face off for decades, right? We've watched Peyton Manning, all those guys. But I don't think we really know what it looks like to be on our team. So for us to have, like, a true opinion on it, I think we're, we're kind of coming at it a bit from an amateur level. But from my personal seat is that, you know, when you got Brett Favre on your team, you still draft Aaron Rodgers, right? When you have Peyton Manning on your team, you still draft Andrew Luck, right? You know, you're always just pushing the envelope constantly. Even when we had Jay Cutler, push that envelope. The year that I don't even remember what our draft pick was the year when we were trying to figure out whether to give Jay money or not. But the fact that we didn't take a quarterback in that area at that time just to see what we had is unconscionable. When Ryan Pace became general manager, he was like, you draft a quarterback every single year. Well, who is he drafted? Nathan Edderly, Tyler Bray, Mitch Trubisky, traded for Mike Glennon traded for Nick Foles. I mean, I'm sorry, signed Mike Glennon, traded for Nick Foles. So, I mean, I personally, it just seems like it's just a lack of effort. And then they get this guy and we just keep trying to pump him up and keep thinking that he's the savior. And by the time that we figured out that he isn't the guy, what, we're six, seven games into a season like we are, it's Mitch Trubisky. You know, let me put it, push it back on you like this. And we're looking back at this now and being like, you know, Cam Newton, Andy Dalton, all the guys that were out there on the street in the offseason, right? Philip Rivers or whatever, all these guys, you know, we were trying to figure out who would be a great move for the Bears. And what ended up happening? We traded for Nick Foles, right? Because he knew the system, but we also didn't want to piss Trubisky off, right? We didn't want to ruin his confidence. That right there is kind of everything that you need to know. And I'm not saying that he's having a great season, but you know what? He's a top six, seven quarterback. You know, the Bears at that point, if, if we were serious about this, we would have gone up to Tom Brady's house and said, how much money do you want? And if he said no to us, great. And guess what? You make bring, the effort. You make yeah. the effort. You know what? You bring Tom Brady in at 42 years old, whatever, two-year deal, right? Two-year deal means Mitch is his backup. If he gets hurt, no big deal. You don't trust Mitch, so you're moving on from him, him anyways. And then next year in that second year, you can draft a quarterback, and he can play under Tom Brady. You could sort of see how it goes. That's how you usher segues. But they got caught in that middle, right, because they're trying to save their ass and make it seem like Trubisky was a right pick after all. And that's kind of how we end up in that same spot, man. I mean, how do you feel about this whole thing? I mean, why can't we figure it out? No, you actually make a great point because, like, even if we look in the league today, which is kind of crazy that the whole reason Miami decided to make the move from Ryan Fitzpatrick, who had had led the Miami Dolphins, it's crazy to think that the Miami Dolphins are poised for a better future currently than the Chicago Bears. The Miami Dolphins, right? Like, But it's crazy that one of the reasons they turned to Tua was because they wanted to start evaluating him, a rookie, 
to see if he was their future and whether or not, hey, maybe next year we draft another quarterback if he doesn't seem like he's our guy. So I think that has something to do with in terms of the forward thinking, like never resting Philip Rivers on the Chargers. Yeah, right. We're all yeah, your numbers going to get retired in yeah, the Raptors, yeah. Philip Rivers. But we're moving on. We're drafting somebody else, man. And who did they take? Yeah. Someone sixth overall. So. And that also begs the question in terms of, and again, I, I just got a ton of questions for you, Joey. In terms of this is more of a philosophical question, but this idea that like, okay, there are the extreme cases. I'm using a basketball reference, like where Michael Jordan was going to be Michael Jordan, regardless of where he played. But by and large. I feel that quote unquote superstars are are largely it it's it, cultivated it's, it's cultivated and also it's a it's it's just the randomness of of the environment and the situation you're thrown to. So with that being said, you know, I, I kind of think about, you know, we always think about, well, we could have had Patrick Mahomes, we could have had Deshaun Watson, but then I think about, you know, would Deshaun Watson uh, much less Patrick Mahomes, be who they are today if they were on the Chicago Bears, this permutation, right? And conversely, <laughs> would Mitch Trubisky going to KC, going to Houston, be much better than the Mitch Trubisky that we know today? You know, it's a very sliding doors theory, but I, I tend to believe that most of these guys that we consider stars outside of the extreme goats of their per- respective sports are more of a byproduct of their scenario. You know, it's like Emmett Smith ran behind for 10 plus years of his career, one of the best offensive lines in the history of football. And so to some degree, any solid running back potentially could have put up those type of numbers. So that, that's where I just, I think that like maybe Patrick Mahomes is just like, God, like, you know, he's such a, if he were, if he were drafted by the Bears, right? It's like this idea that like, guy's just a gunslinger all he does is just throw these crazy passes but he only connects for like you know three Dude, of you're, you're hitting it you're hitting it right on the head where I, I i'm of the belief where if patrick mahomes was on the bears he would not be the greatest quarterback in the game but he would be brett Favre. you know the brett Favre of you know 30 touchdowns 20 interceptions a year drives you nuts you know, the Ferrari version of Jay Cutler, and we would be scratching our head. I personally think Deshaun Watson, we would absolutely, we would have loved Deshaun Watson. That dude is tough. That dude is clutch. He's accurate. You know, would he, would he be putting up the type of numbers that he would in Houston? I, I can't really say one way or the other, but I think his quarterback rating would be over 100, you know. And to the Trubisky point, I don't think Trubisky would be some sort of Pro Bowl, um, you know, Phoenix rising uh, rising from the ashes on some other team you know would he be Alex Smith like a guy that could play within an offense and maybe you know do some things and you know be a successful quarterback yeah I actually kind of think he can still do that in theory with the Bears but I see like inaccuracy with him I see the concept of he's got all these tools but the problem with him not playing a lot in college and then moving to the NFL is you just don't really know if he could take what is on the whiteboard and compute it onto the field and unfortunately, we're kind of finding out that he's a very smart guy. He can learn the plays. He can know all the stuff. But when the bullets start flying out there on the field, he's a one-look guy, and he just doesn't make great decisions. You know, he just doesn't make great reads and great progressions. And that's just kind of part of the game. And that's the intangible that I think Mahomes has that I don't think, no matter where he went, I think that probably would have worked out. I'm going to depress you really quick. Since 2007, do you know that, the Jaguars and the Jets have all 
won more playoff games than the Chicago Bears? That, that's that's super depressing. That's 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 yeah. That, that's, oh, that uh, one. I heard well. that one, and that one hurt my friend because this is, dude. This is the Chicago Bears, man. This is a team. It's not just the team that we love, but they have national renown. Like you said, man. Like the NFL is better when the Bears are like in the playoff hunt and playing some cold game on January. And it's just, a, it's just a crime. And unfortunately you have the hubris of a general manager who not only picked Trubisky second, but traded up to get him. And clearly after that second season, 2019 last year, I mean, it wasn't just about bringing in Nick Foles. It was about bringing in serious competition and moving on from him as quick as you possibly could. And they just yeah. couldn't bring themselves to do it. Just hoping that somehow he would just bring them back to net zero and make it sort of feel like some sort of wash. And, and guess what? Mitch Trubisky is going to be on a different team next year. You know what I mean? And now Pace and Nagy, whether they continue to continue to make the selection a quarterback, you know, we'll see, right? And talk about Phoenix rising. It just, it's, it's one of those cases that you oftentimes see in sports where it's just not going to work for the current team that you're on. And the best thing that probably could happen for both sides is that you move on you know we we look at the Ryan Tannehill move from Miami to you know now playing so well for the Titans you know it's just that thing where like probably the best thing that'll ever happen for Mitch is moving on from the Chicago Bears I want to ask you a question before we move on I want to get a little Bulls talk from you and I know you got a couple of White Sox Cubs things to think you were just talking about first round picks so let me tempt you how many first round picks would you give up for Deshaun Watson in the offseason what's your threshold well, you know, here's the thing. We have gotten, you, you know, you talk about the last 10 years. We've been behind the eight ball the last 10 years because the Brandon Marshall trade. We traded a, a couple of high second round picks, right? Two second round picks for, for Marshall, which, you know, second round picks should be a starter on your team. If you've hit on that second round pick, that is a starter. You know, you know Adam Shaheen the, and yeah, right? uh, doesn't, know, uh, Hironis Grasso. I digress. It, yeah, it doesn't have the glamour of a first round pick, but your second and even your third round pick should be, if not starters, solid contributors. And to be fair, team. this this year's second round pick, Jalen Johnson, I love him. Yeah, I, I think yeah, I, 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 I think love a him. Future. I think yeah, yeah, I think starter next yeah. eight years, yeah. you know. And and so and then again, you know, five years later, basically, we did it again with Khalil Mack. Which, just to be clear, I continue to believe that Khalil Mack was a great move. I mean, it was, it was, it, we gave up a lot, but I believe that that was a good move. So, you know, when you, in a vacuum, would I give, give up a first round draft pick? I, I wouldn't give up two for Deshaun Watson, but I would give up one and then maybe let's say like a third round pick um, for Deshaun Watson uh, in a vacuum. But given the fact that we have so decimated the talent level from our overall roster because of trading away these picks through the last 10 years, I, I wouldn't do it currently. In our current permutation of the Chicago Bears, I wouldn't do it. But in a vacuum, I do believe he's worth, worth that. But Well, some people are saying it would take three first-round picks, and it sounds like at that point you wouldn't be. You'd be like, thanks, but no thanks. Yeah. Hang up the phone. Can't do it, after, especially yeah. after the Khalil Mack situation. Yeah. Well, well you know, and again, he – Unless you trade Khalil Mack in the offseason and get one of those first-round picks back and – you know, I don't, I don't know. We're, we're spitballing here at this point, but we are, but it's also, you know, the football is not to say that we don't want a good defense, but you know, when, when these offenses or at least the good teams have offenses that are scoring 
you know, 30 plus points. And we, you know, there's no great defense in this modern era that can, can replace a competent offense. And we, we don't have a competent offense to keep up with that scoring. So I don't know. I'm that, that, you know, we are spitballing, but how valuable in today's NFL is a strong defense if you can put a, a top level offense on the field, just like we're seeing in every sport, whether it's basketball, whether it's baseball, you know, it, it's, it's an offensive minded uh, league, you know, you know, every year the quarterback gets more and more protected by all these dumb rules where it's like, why, why do you, you know, I, I can see like 10 years down the road, you're not even allowed to touch the quarterback, you know, he's just at free reign. So it's, everything's geared toward the offense. So I, I you know, the, the, the premium on a great defense, which, you know, you still want a solid defense, but I don't know if you need a great defense to succeed. In and unfortunately, opinion. yeah. And with the bears too, like they're entering, the clock is all messed up now. Right. I mean, let's be honest. Akeem Hicks, they have a decision to make on him in the offseason. He has been hurt, but what? You're probably getting one more elite year out of him. Mm-hmm. Khalil Mack, you're probably getting two more elite years out of him. And even, at, even at, a, in a, at a great, good level, I'd still want Khalil Mack on my team. Like, don't get me wrong. But I'm just saying that's the window probably on this defense right now. And you got to ask yourself a question. Like, the running back you got a clock on, you know, a good clock. You know what I mean? You've got him for the next two, three years of control. You got two offensive linemen and White Heron Daniels that you kind of like that you think you got some control on. So, you know, do you, you know, go for broke with the Watson situation? Or if you fall to 16, 17, which is kind of looks like where they're probably going to end up in the draft, do you go and try and target that Kyle Trask kind of guy? Do you try and maybe pick up a Sam Darnold fifth round, take a definitive step back next season and see if you can kind of reload? in that following season after that. But the only problem with that is then you have to reload on the defensive side of the ball because a lot of those guys are either going to get aged out or their contracts are going to come up. And, you know, they're kind of just – I mean, that was the thing with the Khalil Mack trade, man. And that's what sucks about 2018. And it sounds so crazy to say it now. And maybe this will be our final point. I want to hear about this from you. But in 2018, I honestly thought that we could go to the Super Bowl and I honestly thought that we could win the Super Bowl in 2018. No, I'm I th- not even kidding. We all did. I think there were high hopes. I mean, right off the bat, Khalil Mack, like I remember that first game, like just dominated that game. Like, is against this what Green he does? Bay. Is this what he does Green every Bay. week? And, and what happened? Green Bay still beat us, but he yeah. dominated that game. If Khalil Mack almost single-handedly beat the Green Bay Packers. Um, but, you know, what's funny is, and again, you know, it, 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 who's to say how cause and effect it is? But in my opinion, I think we saw the lack of Akeem Hicks, what that means for the Chicago Bears defense in that Green Bay game. So in a weird way, he may be our most important asset on defense, more so than the Khalil Max and the, you know, and, uh, and, and all the other guys, whether you're talking about Roquan Smith. Or Eddie Jackson. Well, the, the fact that yeah. the fact that a guard and a center needs to hit Akeem Hicks the second the ball is snapped allows Roquan Smith perhaps to yeah. be the Pro yeah. Bowl caliber player that he's been all season. So you want to talk about impact? I think if addition by subtraction or subtraction by addition, we I think we saw the extreme effect, unfortunately, in that Green Bay game. What Akeem Hicks not in the middle did for um for the uh, for the Bears against uh, the Packers in that debacle. But to your question, again, kind of echoing a point from earlier. I, to some degree, I don't care unless we 
upgrade that offensive line. And I know we've had a couple of injuries this year, but again, I don't think, I don't think any of us thinks that James Daniels is the next coming of, you know, Olin Kruitz or Tom Thayer or any of the greats that we've had on the line. So I almost, I almost think as crazy as this sounds, we spend every pick on an offensive lineman this upcoming draft. Cause again, everything stems from that offensive line, at least the way the Chicago bears run their offense. You know, if we don't have a great offensive line, uh, a, a running back like David Montgomery, who's a, you know, he's a plotter, he's a good plotter, but he's a plotter. Just, you're just forcing him up the gut. Right. And just seeing what he can get. Cause I mean, whatever, you know, you know that I don't have the best opinion of David Montgomery, but given that there is nobody that tries harder on that football field than David Montgomery when he has the ball in his hand. He should be a third and three king. Like, there's yeah. no reason why we shouldn't be getting first downs yeah. on third and three with that guy on the team. He's, he's awesome after contact. But again, you know, we don't have an offensive line, a good offensive line. We don't have a good run game. We don't have a good offensive line that can protect the quarterback. It doesn't matter who we have a quarterback. And then that means that our receivers are less effective because all you're doing is throwing, you know, your screen passes, your three yard, you know, slants, those things. You can't go deep because you don't have the time to go deep. So, um, yeah, man, I, you know, it's, there, there are so many, here's the thing. I wish we could just address one problem, but there's so many problems that the bears need to address all the way from the coaching staff, from the GM, all the way down to like, well, you, you know, the fact coming, that like, man. there's yeah, more the, coming, dude. Yeah. The fact that Cairo Santos is actually providing some stability at kicker is the one kind of area where now it's like, we may not be bleeding, you know, that, that well, says that all was you our, need to know, but yeah. That was and our that, only problem heading into 2019 was yeah, find a kicker. Yeah. And now so, our problem is figuring out everything else except for the kicker heading into 2021. Yeah. I will say in terms of the offensive line though, you're right though, it is going to be, I can't wait to see what they do because I will say if we're going to talk about, let's talk about one positive just real quick. I really liked how the offensive line actually played against the Packers. And I don't know if you noticed, but it was Leno they moved Whitehair to left guard. They let Mustafa play center. Alex Bars played right guard, and they kicked Jermaine Effetti out to right tackle. And for whatever reason, that mix seemed to kind of work. Now, am I saying that, you know, they're going to turn into, you know, some sort of amazing offensive line? No, I'm not. But moving forward, I think it's obvious that you're probably going to try and move on from Leno and definitely Massey in the offseason. So you got Daniels and Whitehair. Can you find someone out of that mix of, the bars, Mustafa, whatever situation to play a solid right guard for you or a right tackle and then go out and spend the money on left tackle or, as you said, spend the money on one tackle, draft another tackle. And then all of a sudden, you kind of sort of have remade your line on the fly just a little bit. So I'm kind of curious. I really want Alex Bars and Sam Mustafa to play well to finish up the season because, man, that would just be really great to maybe have some sort of option at right guard that you can hang your hat on, and then you can draft a tackle, sign at tackle, and then, you know, maybe you're back in it. Well, I mean, here's the thing, too. I, I don't disagree that the line, at least by appearance, looked a little bit more solid uh, this last game against Green Bay. But was that more of a byproduct that, to Mitch's credit, yeah, had a little absolutely. bit more mobility, right? A, thou a thousand percent. So, you know, whereas Nick a guy Foles like was Nick killing Foles, that yeah. talent-deficient line. And we were running plays, not all the time effective, but was able to utilize, you know, whether it's just a simple rollout, right? Any of these RPOs that Mitch was running that, you know, Nick Foles, just because he is, is, is a stone with like, you know, legs. Well, and can't, it, 
it begs the question just real quick. I want to hear your thought on this where it begs the question of why do you bring Nick Foles onto this team when you know that your personnel, especially in the offensive line is catered towards a player like Mitch Trubisky more than it probably is a player like Nick Foles. Now these guys aren't big giant bruisers on our offensive line. that are just going to hold guys in their place while a dude stands back there like a statue and finds the open man. We, we were getting, you know, James Daniels is an athletic pull, ta- like pull guard kind of guy. Cody Whitehair is a little undersized, but he's smart and he can get to his spot. You know, these are guys that are built for a quarter- quarterback like Mitch Trubisky. No shit that they struggled when Nick Foles came in. Well, we got deceived. We, he still, you know, all credit to Nick Foles, but he still has that Super Bowl winning allure, right? He still has an allure. And then, he, you know, on, you, know you kind of mentioned it before, he also had a previous relationship with Nagy and, you know, knowing that offense. So I think we, when you combine those two things together, we thought it would be a good fit. As, as we know, though, just from a personnel standpoint, when you strictly look at the personnel, it was, it was, it was never going to be a good fit. Because, I mean, great, he can throw a great deep ball, but, you know, do we have a couple of, burners kind of on our team but no we don't have our offense has never been a deep ball dictated offense um but here's the bottom line joey we're going to have to pay Allen robinson if he even dares to stay in chicago because obviously there's been new rumblings that he is once again unhappy with him liking all these different tweets about hey you should be playing in another city man you know if we don't pay him if, if i truly believe if we don't pay him as the top receiver in the NFL, he's gone. I, th- I think he's gone. I don't think he's coming back unless we franchise him. We can franchise him, Mike. So just keep in mind that I, I can definitely see a scenario where we franchise and then that July deadline comes around and maybe we come together with some sort of contract extension and maybe we could show him that our team is going to look a little bit different with a different quarterback moving forward and then he can get his paper. Mike, I do want to ask you about some bulls real quick. Yeah, let's yeah, pivot yeah, let's over it. just super let's fast. We're not going to spend a ton of time on it because it's still only three weeks away from the season. And to be honest, who knows what this bulls team is going to look like with Billy Donovan, a new coach, you know, a team that last year, again, wasn't very good, but a team that didn't play together for a large chunk of games, scale of one to 10. What is your excitement enthusiasm level for this Chicago Bulls season coming up? It's a high eight plus man. Me too. At, 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 you know, it's the first time in, five, six years, definitely since the Derrick Rose era, that it's like there's been some genuine hope, even if they don't finish well, right? There's been some genuine hope that we're finally moving in the right direction, whether it stems from obviously the front office, stems to the new coaching staff, stems to even potentially the talent we have on the court. Um, it, it, yeah, it's, it's the first time that I've, in, in a long time that I've been hopeful, whether or not that hope proves to be the case you know when we talk again about the bulls in two three months once uh you know once we get kind of near to the end of the season we'll see but yeah i've been been super hopeful i am right there with you i'm an eight maybe an 8.4 and not just based on like you said not because i think we're going to be going to the playoffs or anything like that they came out with over-unders today for the 72 game season i think they had the bulls at 29.9 so still under 500 on the outside looking into the playoffs but I'm right there with you. Dying to see what this new new coaching staff does. Dying to see can I can we find a tangible difference between and I think we will Jim Boylan and a professional NBA coach in terms of 
sets coming out of timeouts, in terms of adjustments in the second half, in terms of guarding the three-point line, in terms of how we're going to utilize Laurie Markin and Wendell Carter at the same time. And it sounds crazy because I don't think he's a part of our long-term plans, but it seems like, and tell me if I'm wrong, one of the big linchpins of this season is Otto Porter, the wing player who can start, provide solid minutes from that wing position, score a few points, take the pressure off of Patrick Williams, who had a lot of Bulls fans scratching their heads about why he was drafted so high. Is he going to be any good? If Otto Porter can take some pressure off of him, provide some veteran leadership, maybe make some plays where it's not the Zach Levine show all the time. And, you know, I'm not saying he's the best player on the team, but I think he's just one of those weird X factors that maybe, just maybe, we look up and after 15 games, we're like eight and seven you know, nine and eight, you know, somewhere in that area. And we're kind of feeling good about ourselves. And I'm just really excited to, you know, keep my fingers crossed that everyone stays healthy because, you know, out of, out of this list of players I'm going to send to you, uh, I'm going to throw out to you right now. All these guys have had injuries over the last couple of years. But who do you think needs to be the, the healthiest this season for us as Bulls fans in the organization to get a hold on his value and his development with the team moving forward? Wendell Carter, Laurie Marketing, or Otto Porter? When you talk about the direct impact on the team, I mean, the whole reason we signed him, you know, I, I'd have to say Otto Porter, man. I mean, he, you know, we keep talking about flashes when we talk about these different players and all the different Chicago teams. But, you know, right off the bat when we got him, I, he, 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 I mean, if it wasn't his first game, it was, it was one, of his, one of his first games where he went 30 and 10. So if... If that, I mean, not that I've, I don't think we would ever dream to dream that he's a 30-10 guy, but if he's a, you know, 18-8 and eight guy, I think that's solid contribution, you know, in terms of a guy that we brought in and we're not going to get rid of him, at least not this year because of the contract he has. So Unless we can trade him. Unless we can trade him, but who's going to, unless we eat that money, who's going to take that contract? I mean, it, it very much could be the Nicholas Batum situation, right, where we, we kind of have to eat – however many millions off that contract to trade I mean, he, I think he only has one year left, though. Yeah, He becomes yeah, a free but, agent after this year. So if you're a team, let's just take a team. Oh, you're talking I, about next year, though. Not, yeah, not I'm talking about the, yeah, the, okay. yeah, the magic yeah, or whatever, okay. yeah. Got it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, so he's, he's kind of uh, – here's the thing. All three guys that you mentioned are their dark horses because of injuries and because of lack of coaching. So if any – jeez, if all three of those guys – start to succeed with this new regime it, it could be it could be scary with the roster that the bulls have and the thing that i love about that this roster is that you know you talk about versatility all the guys on the roster for by and large can play two to three positions so just that position flexibility on this current permutation of the bulls um yeah if 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 two of those three if auto lord between auto lori and, you know, Wendell Carter Jr. can kind of become the players we had hoped they had become when, when we drafted or acquired them. Um, wow, it, 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 the, the future is bright. I mean, you know, and we, we can talk a little bit about Patrick Williams where, you know, I think it's kind of the fact that, like, well, we have him, so now we got to see what he's, you know, kind of thinking best term, right? And I, I will say this guy is an athletic freak, man. And at 19, he was – if he wasn't the youngest player in the draft, I think he was the second youngest player in the draft. So um, yeah, man, if, if the, 
regardless of what Patrick Williams becomes or doesn't become, the fact that we invested a number four pick in a 19-year-old player, we absolutely have to give him three to four years minimum to develop. Otherwise, it was a waste of draft pick. It was a waste of draft pick. So if we don't invest the time and capital in Patrick Williams, it was why, why did we draft him in the first place? I'm starting to come around a little bit on Patrick Williams. I'm with you though on the three to four years because the only way that it's going to work out is if he learns how to shoot. I mean, it, it, he's got everything else. He's got all the other tools and he could do all those tools and be a, a, a piece that can help a team. But if you can't learn how to shoot, we won't know. I'm curious to hear from you. What are you looking forward to see from Billy Donovan the most? Like what, what specifically in game or just in terms of the way that he runs the, runs the team in general, what are you looking forward to the most? Because what I'm looking forward to the most is there's four guys that I'm looking at. I'm looking at the two youngsters, Kobe White and Daniel Gafford. And then I'm looking at Thad Young and Tomas Sedaransky. When you have a professional NBA coach, typically the NBA veterans get under your tent and they start to play a little better and they play their role and they understand because they, they respect the coach. In terms of Kobe White and Daniel Gafford, I'm hoping that you see them take these small little steps forward. And, you know, I want to see Daniel Gafford running up and down the floor, rim, rocking the rim. You know, I want to see Kobe White picking his spots a little bit more, trying to, you know what I mean, like not always jack up shots. You know, when you're on a heater, go with it, but otherwise try and play within yourself. What are you looking forward to from uh, Billy Donovan the most? Well, I don't think we have to question his basketball IQ. We've seen him prove that with back-to-back championships at Florida. We've seen in his short five-year tenure with Oklahoma that he did it in the NBA. So uh, right, right off the bat, we have a competent X and, o, X and O's coach finally for the first time in X amount of years for the Bulls. But more importantly, you know, chemistry is such a, a bandied about word, right? And we even talked about with the Bears, like, have they quit on Matt Nagy? I think in the first time in, again, however many years, uh, by all accounts, all the players adore Billy Donovan already. So the fact that they are already, you know, just the fact that he's instilling, to your, to your point, respect, to your point, kind of this idea that like, yeah, I really want to play for this guy. That in itself, I think, is a huge component that'll bring this together, team together, and push them forward. So I think just from... Uh, uh, yeah, from that standpoint, just the, the foundation he's laying down for the Chicago Bulls just from a, a mental standpoint is, is a huge bonus that, uh, that, you know, that we can't take lightly, especially coming Sh- off the boiling you know, debacle. Oh, my gosh. I'm just so happy that just isn't him. And betting Chicago fans, you're going to have to stick around and come back because Mike Choi, hopefully in a couple of weeks, is going to join us as one of our Hoops Honchos. We're going to do a big Chicago Bulls preview, really dive in deep, make our predictions on how many wins they're going to have this year. And hopefully they can give us something to cheer about. Maybe not something, you know, we're not winning the title this year, but maybe something that goes, hey, heading into next season after this year, we're pointed in the right direction. We got two more things before we get out of here. Mike, you got a couple of questions for me on the baseball side of things. I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are. What's rumbling in that brain of yours? Well, just super quick. So, you know, uh, in regards to the Sox, now that, you know, we had kind of talked about who were the Sox managerial candidates last time we spoke. Now we know. Um, and in, in my opinion, in regards to La Russa, you wouldn't, you can't find a better baseball IQ in all of baseball history than probably Tony La Russa. He's right up there with the best of them. But then I guess as much as I was, the much as much as I was liking that potential of Larusa coming to the Sox, then I don't know. I kind of question: Is he the right? You know, we talk about fit once again, but from a, a cultural 
standpoint for the Sox? Is, is he the right fit, in your opinion, for the Sox, minus the, the IQ? Because we know that that's that bona fide. We don't have to question that. Uh, if we're talking strictly fit, no. No. <laughs> no, he's not the right fit at all. Yeah. But the way that I'm trying to wrap my head around it is, and I think you're hitting it on the head of what maybe the White Sox or what Jerry Reinsdorf is thinking, and I think what Rick Hahn is crossing his fingers and hoping that happens is – Ricky Renteria, everyone liked him, cool clubhouse. But you know what? The reason why he lost his job is when he stuck out of the dugout, you know, stuck his head out of the dugout, walked to the mound, he put his arm up in the air. He was making the wrong decisions, right? Early on in the season, his lineups looked crazy. Didn't make any sense at all. And that's stuff that actually affects games. And if you're telling me Tony La Russa is going to affect the game in a positive way from that area, I'm on board. I totally agree that I think that he's going to be, I think he's going to manage the bullpen a lot better. Um, I think he's going to make the right kind of lineups. I think he's going to find the right matchups. I think all that stuff on paper is going to work out good. Now, in terms of uh, the clubhouse and how it intermingles with these young players and all this talent, I think that's when you get into the, the underrated, overrated, properly rated game of, I just think this White Sox team is so talented. I think they have guys on this team like Yasmani Grandal, Jose Abreu, and Dallas Keuchel, just naming a couple of them, that are leaders already in the clubhouse. Like, I think Jose Abreu pulls more weight in that clubhouse than Ricky Renteria ever did. And I don't have any knowledge. That's just my opinion. So if that already exists and Tony La Russa comes in, the whole thing about how he meshes with these younger players, I think is slightly overrated. The other part that I've been thinking about a lot is, I just don't see Tony La Russa there longer than two years. I just, sure. I don't see a scenario where that happens. So you ask yourself the question, you know, Tony La Russa comes back. Maybe the White Sox win a world series in those first two years. Great. Awesome. Rides off into the sunset. If he doesn't, this team is still young enough. They still have a bunch of guys signed up for three, four years after the La Russa experiment where you can bring someone else in and then really go for it again. I'm really curious to see what they do in terms of roster construction and see whether they, you know, they dive in on a Trevor Bauer, whether they try and get a Michael Brantley or a George Springer, what they do in that particular area. But as of right now, I think the impact, the La Russa impact is a little overstated. I think heading into a team that I think is just loaded with talent. And yeah. I think they're going to add even more talent. And I think this team's just going to be super fun to watch next yeah. year. And hopefully Larusa doesn't get in the way. I mean, what do you, what do you think? I mean, well, I mean, you know, it, we always talk about player comps in sports, right? So to me, in terms of a, a coaching comp, uh, I think best case scenario is that he's the Bill Belichick of baseball, right? So or a Bill Parcells, or yeah, the guy yeah, that just sort prickly of kind of demeanor, uh, not really maybe a little too old school for this modern generation, but somehow still excels. And you know, again, kind of even especially with Belichick, similar to like. That doesn't, you know, we talk about the activism side and the cultural relevance side of knowing what's going on in the world these days and not really caring about that. You know, this is the same thing with Belichick, but again, he's beloved because, you know, he wins. So, you know, that's that's the bottom line, right? When you win, everything else you can throw out the window. It's, it's, and also, it's when you're. It's super convenient, right? Where I'm sure LaRusso is going to say something next year that's going to drive White Sox fans or Chicago sports fans or whatever, someone crazy, right? And we're, yeah. we're going to be critical and criticizing something that he says. But uh, tell me if I'm wrong. I don't really think we gave a shit whether Ricky Renteria talked at all last year, right? Exactly. So you can't really sort of just pick and choose your targets 
of like how and who and what is represented and how it is represented. Mm-hmm. Is Tony La Russa going to say some old man stuff next year that's going to have me shaking my head? For sure. Sure, yeah. but we're not paying him to say post-game stuff. We're, we're having him to guide us to yeah. a World Series, something that he's done with two different organizations, the A's and the Cardinals, right? Like, I don't it's, – it's the Kanye West argument. I don't care what he says. I just listen to the music. Like, I know I don't go to Kanye for my thoughts on – you know, the world or politics or really anything. I, he's a person with an opinion. I don't care. I like his music. That's it. They're separate. The Tony LaRue situation is a bit similar. And if you think that he's going to say something that, you know, is going to drive people nuts. Well, you know, we never really care what Ricky Renteria said in the first place. So I don't know. Yeah. And yet, you know, in, in regards to the Cubs, only thing, only kind of couple of quick notes I wanted to say on the Cubs was, you know, I wanted to toast Theo Epstein who, who kind of parted ways with the Cubs and, you know, he brought that championship. So he's never going to have to buy a meal in Chicago again. Um, And now that he's gone real quick is, I mean, he's unassailable, right? Like he's, he's sainthood. He's Chicago sainthood. Of course. I mean, mean, and, and, you know, then we talk about the greater ramifications of his relevance in sports history, where he brought a championship to both, you know, depraved teams, uh, you know, in Boston and obviously for the Cubs. And so, you know, he can be argued as one of the best GMs in all of sports history. Um, and let's, let's face it. He left at a good time too. I think he could kind of see where this roster was going and. Knew well, that, that's like, what I'm hey, saying. Yeah. The criticism, yeah. the criticism is pretty low level at this point, him yeah. walking out now. Now we look back on this nine years and we're just like, wow, like yeah. the, the, the building, the 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 foundation it going it working and then they they made a couple of runs at it it didn't work i i just think now it's like an immaculate an immaculate record and dare i say probably a better reputation than joe madden leaving town yeah exactly and 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 potentially uh, it, it's sad to say but most likely a goodbye toast to chris bryant who's probably played his last game as a chicago cub by all accounts i mean it's crazy that how dire the budget is that they potentially come tomorrow. He might just be given an outright release because they can't even offer tender him a contract to then trade him. So that's just tells you the dire straits that the Cubs have monetarily, but real, real quick, real quick side note. I remember when he came up uh, in the minors and you read all the articles and stuff, and I think it was Keith law, but I could be wrong. So forgive me if I'm wrong, but they did player comps for Chris Bryant. And one of the player comps was Troy Gloss. And I remember seeing that and going, Troy Gloss? No, this guy's supposed to be like an MVP. This guy's supposed to be like a home run hitting. Yeah. yeah. You know, this guy's supposed to be like a super, superstar. Like, I don't understand Troy Gloss. Like, and, and to be fair, Troy Gloss had some fantastic seasons for those Angels teams, but ain't like injuries kind of caught up to him a little bit wasn't able to get quite the same amount of power that he was able to never really took his game to an ascending level that expanded beyond the first three, four years in the league. Does that kind of start to sound a little familiar? No, I mean, and again, he's, his, his legacy is bonafide too, right? He's the number two pick out of San Diego and, and, you know, really was the face of the Chicago Cubs rebuild. I mean, I, I remember like he had, we, there were like billboards and, 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 you know, building side uh, posters and paintings of this guy while he was still in the minors. Like what team really like flashes a minor leaguer to that extent, like the Chicago Cubs did to really kind of be the face, you know, obviously one rookie of the year MVP uh, obviously led the team to the world series. So again, he's another guy that'll never have to uh, 
buy a dinner in Chicago for the rest of his life. So, yeah, it's a sh- it's a shame um, with him too. I think his shoulders super messed up, and instead of him probably going under the knife and taking a year off, I think he tried to play through it so he can get yeah. paid and then go under the knife. But um, yeah, I mean. Oof, a tough. That's yeah, a tough move yeah, with Chris Bryant. So. And you know what? You're right, man. Ten, con, tr- contracts are going to begin being non-tendered beginning tomorrow on Wednesday. We're taping this on Tuesday, so we'll have mm-hmm. to see. Mike, we got to get you out of here real quick, yeah. but we do have to do a quick teaser because we have a very special podcast episode coming up in about a couple of weeks, just before Christmas time. That's Mike, right. this is your idea, man. You're getting credit for it, so <laughs> we're going to be doing a Christmas theme pod coming up. And I think we're going to be doing a little bit of everything. We're going to do what we call a Christmas casting. We're going to be casting our favorite Chicago athletes paired with some of the great Chicago characters, uh, Christmas movie characters uh, of all time in our past. We're going to be putting people on the naughty and nice list. And I think we're going to be doing a lot of really, really fun stuff. So we just want to put a little teaser in there real quick. And I think we're going to do real quick, give me – for the Chicago Bears right now, as the season stands in 2020, put one person on the nice list and put one person on the naughty list. Oh, I, I, I got one for each. Uh, the naughty list definitely has to go to Javon Wims and his <laughs> infamous clocking of C.J. Gardner-Johnson of the New Orleans Saints. So he's definitely number one on that naughty list for the Chicago Bears. I might, I might go Eddie Pinero. Um, you had a shot to keep your job, and you yanked your groin, and uh, it was taken away from yeah. you and never came back. Naughty list. Give us a nice list. And, and nice list, I mean, it'll be a bittersweet night list, nice uh, addition or, or, or name, but uh, I'm going to give it to Gail Sayers, who recently passed away this last September. Um, you know, uh, what can you say about Gail Sayers? I mean, it's a guy who 50 years after he played, his name is still as recognizable today as it ever was, uh, youngest guy in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, you know, an absolute singular talent on the football field, a gentleman off the football field, and just a guy that every athlete, every person should emulate as an example of how to lead his life. So again, rest in peace, Gail Sayers, and definitely number one on this year's nice list. That's a great call. Also, I've mentioned this before, but from the generations that came before us, the person who also the, your grandparents and uncles told you that you don't know shit about football until you watch Gail Sayers, right? He's also that guy. Nice list. I'm going to put, um, I'm going to put Alan Robinson on there because he's fighting the good fight, catching the receptions, getting the yards, getting the touchdowns. And then one more before we get you out of here. Um, this is more of a question for you. I need you to name a Chicago coach. And here's the scenario. It's Christmas Eve, Santa, He's drunk. He's wasted. How did he do this? He's drunk. He's wasted. He's passed out. You go outside in the front yard and the reindeer, Rudolph, got into the hydrocodone. They're all fucking tripping balls and all the reindeer are knocked out. And you need to pick one Chicago coach right now employed by Chicago sports team to guide the sleigh, to get the presents to all the good little kitties out there in the world. You can only pick one coach. Who do you trust the most to guide Santa's sleigh on Christmas Eve? Well, it's, it's slim pickings in the Chicago coaching scene. <laughs> That's so right. It's tough. <laughs> I, I, everything I'm doing is based on potential. And I'm going to go, we kind of mentioned him earlier. I'm going with Billy Donovan. So uh, uh, good one. He, he hopefully, you know, talk about uh, wearing red, that, that great Chicago Bulls classic red uniform. Um, you know, not, not that he's going to be wearing the uniform on the sideline, but, you know, with, with any luck, he'll, uh, he'll have many years of success uh, over at the United Center. Yeah, I guarantee you, I'll tell you who it's not going to be. 
Tony Larusa because you know what? I think he brought the schnapps over to Santa's house, and I think he's the reason why we don't have a sleigh in the first place. So it's not going to be Tony. I'm going to go with David Ross, though, because, you know, Grandpa Rossi, the catcher, the leader, I think he can kind of band the reindeer together. I think he can pull it all together and probably ride that sleigh and get all those presents out in time. I just got, I just got, faith, in the, got faith in the grandpa. Mr. Mike Choi, thank you so much for joining. So great to talk to you, man, all the time. We were gonna, we went way longer than we wanted to because it was so good. This is Believe in Betting Chicago with Joey Christopoulos. Mike, thank you so much, man. We'll talk to you soon. Having me, Joey. Today was uh, today's episode was brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Guys, make sure you stick around. We got a bunch of great pods coming up, not just this week but next week. We got movies. We're talking Cubs. We're talking White, White Sox. I got a very special guest coming on tomorrow that I'm very, very, very happy and thankful that he's coming on to talk. So make sure you guys stick around and check that out. Until then, be well, be safe. Be kind to each other. We will talk again soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.